Amen. You can take a seat. Our scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. I'll read through verse 21. Very famous passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 21. The Apostle Paul is writing these things to the church at Corinth, but he's, he's writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, we believe these, these words come to us with authority, with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking about this idea, all things new, that Christ has come. What we're celebrating at Christmas, Christ has come, and his work is to make all things new. Last week, we looked at Revelation 21 and the, this idea of the new creation. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. And, and we talked about the word that he used there, the kind of two words for the word new that we see in the Greek. The first word that's translated new from Greek is chronos, which is like new in terms of time. Like this is new. It just happened. It, it, it hasn't been here long. But the second word, and this is the word that we're thinking about kind of this whole month, is the word kainos. And kainos is not like new as if it hasn't been here long. It's new in terms of quality. Uh, Jesus is making all things renewed. He's not making all new things. He's making all things, things that have been created, that do exist. He's making them kainos. He's renewing them. He's bringing them to completion. He's making them whole. And we see the same idea here. If anyone is in Christ, he not is a new creation. He didn't exist before, but now he exists. No, he's a kinost creation. He's renewed. He did exist, but now he's new. Now he's complete. Now he's different. There's a, there's a whole different quality about him. There is a whole different reality to him. He's a new creation. What's interesting to me about this is whenever the Bible talks about this new or renewed creation, I think we kind of think is in terms of future, right? One day we'll be renewed. One day we'll be made clean. We'll be in a glorified body. We, we kind of think forward. But the New Testament authors always talk about this renewal as, as if it is something that is happening now. 
If anyone is in Christ, not he will be a new creation, but he is. The old has gone. The new has come, right? Past tense. This, this kainos project, right, is reaching, as it were, from the new Jerusalem back into time. It's as if God's work of renewal is coming from the future back toward us and is changing us, is remaking us, is renewing us. So I love this passage. There's, there's more, like I could literally preach for 10 hours on this passage. There's so much to say here, but we don't have time for that. And so I'm just gonna talk about two things with you. One, the new life. And then secondly, and very importantly, the new title or your new title, your new life and your new title. So let's look at the new life. All of us are born with this feeling of inadequacy. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's this urge in us to have to justify ourselves, right? I, I'm doing something that counts. I'm doing something that matters. We, 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 we like to think about our lives in terms of accomplishments or achievements or, or th things that make us count, things that make us matter. The movie Rudy was on this week, and uh, I love the movie Rudy. I grew up uh, on that movie, and uh, you know, I always am a sucker for Rudy whenever it's kind of on. And uh, so anyway, I, I started watching a little bit, and, and I was reminded of this scene in Rudy. If you remember, you know, Rudy, it's about this walk-on at Notre Dame. He really wants to play, and, and Era Parsegian had told him, look, Rudy, if you stay with the program, you'll get to dress one game. Your, you know, your last year, I'll let you dress one game. But then Air Parsegian left and Dan Devine became the coach of Notre Dame and he forgot all about what Air Parsegian had told Rudy. And so sure enough, it's the last game of the year. They, they published the who's going to get to dress out list and Rudy's name is not on it. And he's just so heartbroken. He's so crushed. And so he quits the team. And there's this great scene. He goes to the stadium and he goes and stands there and he looks to the tunnel he looks to the tunnel where all the players run out. And he's friends with this guy, Fortune, who's kind of the facilities manager there at the stadium. And Fortune's like, you should be at practice. What are you doing here? And Rudy's like, I quit. And Fortune's like, what are you doing? And, and, and Rudy says this. He said, I, I just wanted to run out of that tunnel. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. I wanted to run out of that tunnel to prove. And then if you remember the movie, Fortune says, prove what? And Rudy says, to prove to everybody that I'm somebody, to prove that I'm really somebody. And I kind of think that it may not be running out of the tunnel at Notre Dame, but you all have those things. It's that feeling of inadequacy. And you're like, I just... It may be for your dad, right? I got to prove to my dad, like Rudy, that I am somebody. It may be to the people back home. It may just be to yourself. It may be to everybody around you. I got to prove that I'm somebody. Where does that come from? Why do we all have that? And I'll tell you why we do. It's because, as I said last week, you were created by God to be in God's presence, to fellowship with him to know him and delight in him. And if you can't do that, and if you're not in God's presence, the result of that, the result of that separation from God is this great feeling of inadequacy. 
You've, if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, but in the beginning of time, when the man and the woman were in the garden with God, I believe that they were primarily aware of God. Now, we are primarily aware of ourselves, right? And secondarily aware of God and others, right? And that, us being like that, is actually uh, a, a disordered, it's a disordered awareness, right? Because we are not ultimate. If you're primarily aware of something that is not ultimate, your orders, your, your awareness is disordered. But I believe in the beginning of time, Adam and Eve were actually more aware of God than they were of themselves. And the reason I believe this is because remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God, uh, God went looking for them. They hid from God. God said, Adam, where are you? Why did you hide? Remember what Adam said? Adam said, I hid because I was naked. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? It's not that Adam, when he sinned, he became naked. It's, it's after he sinned, he was aware of his nakedness. Why? Because before Adam sinned, before Adam and Eve sinned, they were primarily aware of God. They were primarily focused on God. And, and, and they weren't even aware of themselves. They were so self-aware, they'd forgotten about themselves. I mean, you have to be pretty unself-aware to be naked and not know about it, right? I mean, not to give you like a picture or whatever, but if I was standing in front of all you right now without any clothes on and I didn't know it, you'd be like, that guy is clueless, right? But that's how Adam and Eve were. They were more aware of God than they were of themselves. They didn't even, they were so unaware of themselves, they didn't even know that they were naked. But as soon as they sinned, all of a sudden they became aware of themselves. And coupled with that, they became aware of their sin. They became aware of the separation that they had, that the fellowship had been broken. And I believe from that day to this, we've had this feeling of inadequacy. It's as if we're saying, when we try to do all these things to make us worth something, it's as if we're saying, I gotta do something special enough to get me back into the garden, <laughs> to get me back into this place of feeling adequate, to get me back into this place of peace and of rightness, to get back into the presence of God. But of course, in our own strength, and our own flesh, we can't do it. We can't get in. In light of, no matter what you do, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you've pulled off, okay? And I know you guys, you're really talented people. Y'all have done some really impressive things. But in light of a holy and almighty God, all of the little things we do fall very, very short. And I want to say this to you today, without this passage and passages like it in the Bible, particularly without verse 21, I don't know if I'd have much to offer you. You know, without passages like this, the, the, the gospel, the Bible gives us this gospel message that really is different. And, and without that, I think all I could offer you is just a little encouragement. You'd have that feeling of inadequacy. You could come here and, and I could say, hey, you know, you're awesome and go out there and do good. And maybe you'd feel a little better for a little while, but then you'd realize you're inadequate. You know, the world kind of knows this, right? Like movies know this. Movies know how to make us feel really good for a little while. 
And then, you know, we have that feeling of an attitude returns. We have to watch another movie. Music does this. And we get a song we really like, and it gets us excited for a little while. And then that kind of wears off. We have to have another song, you know? And every, everything knows this. Even your work knows this. I, I was saying, you know, that a lot of you guys are missing going into the office place because you're missing the motivational posters, right? You know these? Here. You know these? Yeah. So like... You know, when you're, you're in the office, you're walking down the hall, you're feeling a little down, and you see this guy swimming, and you're like, I can do it. I can endure. Or, you know, you, you see this picture of a sunset here, and you're like, you know what? Man, I was feeling really bad about myself today, but I saw a sunset, and now I believe that I can succeed. You know, or maybe you just see an astronaut, which I mean, what's cooler than an astronaut, right? And you're like, I can do it. I can achieve, right? The world kind of gets this. You need a little boost, a little energy, a little something. Get you, get you going. You know, even like the church can do this. And you know what? Without passages, like, like verse 21, I was, I was having a conversation one time with one of my it was a friend of my neighbor's. I was walking in the street and I saw my neighbor had a friend over and my neighbor said to the friend, he said, hey, this is Jason. He pastors a new church in town. And I said to him, and, and you know, here's what I have to advice. If you meet somebody that you don't know that may not be a believer, your first inclination actually shouldn't be to invite them to church, right? Just get to know them, figure out where they are. You know, it may be a bad idea for them to come. They'll maybe think this is all weird, you know? Get to know him first. But anyway, I did what I should have done. And I said, ah, you should come worship with us one time. The guy kind of seemed interested. And he said, nah. He said, I got it. And I said, you know what? He says, I got it. <laughs> I know what y'all are doing. A new church, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I got it, yeah. It was all psychology. I know how y'all do it. Y'all, you know, y'all play the loud music and it's exciting and everybody's having a good time. Everybody gets up and then the preacher comes up and gives a little everybody a boost, a word of encouragement, some little wisdom. And then they all leave feeling good and then they realize they can't do it and they have to come back next week. And he's like, I did that for a little while. I got it. And you know what? Without passages like this, what could I say to him? What could I say to him? I was just like, yeah, I guess that's what we do. But, but this is different. This is so different. This is, this is unlike the achievement poster. Let me show you. Look at verse 21. This says that God, for our sake, made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what we celebrate at Christmas time is that God, God himself, actually came to live among us as through his son, Jesus. As Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, writer wrote in Hark the Herald, pleased as man with men to dwell. But Jesus didn't just live among us. Jesus actually lived rightly. He, he actually lived according to God's order. He actually stayed in fellowship with God. Jesus never had that feeling of inadequacy. 
Because he, he was in God's order. He was in God's peace. He was in God's holiness. There was no separation in the life of Christ between him and the Father. He lived rightly, as the same hymn, Hark the Herald say, Hail the Son. And it's not S-O-N, it's S-U-N, Son of Righteousness. Hail the Son of Righteousness. What does that mean? It means that how do you know what is right? Like how do, if you're out and you're, there's no directions around you, you're out in the woods, how do you know which way is north? How do you know which way is south? How do you know where you are? You know how you know? If you know how to look at the sun, now some of y'all don't know that, but if you understand the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, you can figure out which way is north and which way is south. You can figure out which way you're going. Jesus is the son of righteousness. How do you know what's right? You need Jesus. He came and he lived out perfect righteousness. Jesus was a model for us. But I want you to hear this. He wasn't just a model for us. Jesus was a model. He is the son of righteousness. But if all we had was a model, if all Jesus, if, if all Jesus was for us was a model, we would at least kind of know what righteousness is, but it wouldn't cure us of this feeling of inadequacy because we couldn't do, we couldn't live, we couldn't desire as Jesus does. But Jesus is more than a model. He's also a savior. He didn't just model righteousness for us. I want you to hear this. He gives us righteousness. He, he gives us, as it were, an adequate record. He gives us perfect righteousness. He who knew no sin, right? He who was more pure than the purest little child in our nursery. He, was, he who was more righteous than the most righteous person you've ever known. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, no impurity, no unrighteousness in him, here's what it said, became sin. It's an amazing thing to think about. You know that feeling when you've been caught? Right? You ever have that? You did something that you shouldn't have been doing and you get caught and it's just, oh, the embarrassment that comes in. Or maybe you're not caught yet, but you kind of had the fear of what if I do get caught? That, embarrassment, shame. Or what about guilt? Or what about when you think back on things that you've done in your life that you just, you know, weren't right and you can't take it back, it's behind you. All that feeling, all that feeling of guilt and shame that, that, that you feel, Jesus became that. He took that on. He took that record on. He who knew no sin, he who was totally pure, took on the guilt of the worst sinner in this room, the worst sinner in this city. He who knew no sin, became sin. He experienced our sin. He experienced our guilt. He experienced our shame. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, the perfect righteousness, the son of righteousness, righteousness. We just kind of finished up our staff review time uh, at the, around the office. And I just want to say our staff, Christ Covenant staff, they're the best. I mean, they, they literally are the most talented, most godly church staff I've ever been uh, associated with. I'm so proud of them. They're doing a great job. So if you're a member, you need to feel good about the good job that they're doing. We also have a couple of, um, of, of hires to make in, uh, in 2021, you know, so we're starting to kind of look at resumes. And a resume is kind of fun to put together, right? You get to list out all your achievements and send it in and, and say, yeah, here's every, all the good things. You know, you know what you don't put on a resume? You don't put 
like the time you lost money for your company, you know. You don't put that on there, you know. If you failed out of a school and then graduated from another one, you don't put like, you know, you know, University of Georgia failed out, graduated from X university, right? You don't, you don't do that, right? You just put the one you graduated from, right? You put the good stuff on your resume, but once you get the job, when you do lose money for your company, somebody's keeping up with that. Your boss knows that. And you know what he does? He keeps it or he or she does. He keeps it in a file. Your resume is a lot of fun. You kind of troll what goes in there. But your file, that's not as fun. Because some good stuff goes in there, but some bad stuff goes in there too. I, I think a lot of us think that we go before God with our resume. Hey, look, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. But here's the thing. God's not the judge of outward appearances, right? God is the judge of the heart. God actually knows who you actually are. God knows what's in your heart. He knows all your intentions, all your thoughts, all your deeds. He, he knows how short your file comes up. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is what Jesus has done is, is he exchanges records with us. He exchanges files with us. He, he takes our file full of inadequacy, full of fear, full of guilt and shame, and he gives us his perfect righteousness. It, it is counted to us through faith in Christ. And if that's true, if Jesus has done that for you, okay, this is the wonder of the gospel, then you can once again come into the presence of God. You can once again know the power and the presence of God. This is why as Christians, we believe that, that once we come into God in faith, that we can actually have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, the presence of God within us. It's like we're back in the garden. It's like we can once again, as we said last week, drink from the river of life. This is what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is a model. He's the perfect model. He's the son of righteousness. He's the one by where every other direction is set, but he's more than a model. He's a savior. He's the one who took on your imperfect record and has given you his perfect record, but he's actually more than just a savior. He's a savior who calls you into new life, kainos life. He doesn't just give you a record. Jesus begins this work of establishing this righteousness actually in your life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a kainos creation, he or she is being renewed. He or she is being made whole. He or she is being made right. Christ is covering your sin and then redeeming you from your sin. And if you believe this, if you really believe this, this totally changes you. It revolutionizes you. It calls you into a different life, a different existence, a different creation. You're changed. You know, I... Um, I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And if you go there, if, if I really wanted to be a part, like when I go to Southeast Asia, y'all ever like, is anybody ever here like been to Europe or something and you, you try to blend in, you know? They all know, right? Many Europeans are here. Y'all know, you can spot an American, right? But if you go to Southeast Asia, you don't even try to blend in, right? 
this is really different. I don't know the language. I'm like a lot bigger than everybody. I'm, you know, don't know the gestures. I don't know anything, right? Because it's a totally different culture. There's a different language. It's not just a different language. There's a different decision-making. Uh, there's even a different like value system. So for example, here in America, we're all about individual achievement. Uh, Southeast Asia is very much communal achievement, right? So it's, it's less about what you achieve, but more about what your group or your, 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 the people you're associated with, your family, your village, what, what they can achieve. That's, that's kind of where identity is more formed. Uh, there, there's, there's totally different uh, ways of decision-making. There's, there's totally different uh, kind of structures. Everything is different. Everything is new. Everything, and, and that's really what it means to, to become a Christian. It's, it's, we become a part of this new creation. Everything changes about us. As I said before, it's as if the, the new Jerusalem it's taken us over. We're citizens of a new place. We're a part of a different kingdom. You've heard me talk about this, that when you hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in scripture, it's talking about the reign of Christ. One day, Jesus will reign in all of the cosmos fully. His reign will be known. But if you are in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, it means that that reign that reign of Christ, which one day will be known everywhere, that reign has now taken over in your heart. To be a Christian means that Jesus is reigning in your life, that he is, he is the culture that you are a part of, that his kingdom is the way that you're a part of, his, his life is the life that you are a part of. What if you could live today as you will one day live when you are in the presence of God? What if you could think today? What if you valued today what you will one day value in the new Jerusalem, in the presence of God? What if you spent your time today as you will one day spend it when you are in the presence of God? If you believe that Jesus has taken your record of sin and died in your place and that he's given you his record of righteousness and he's calling you into this new life, that's what you believe that he is reigning, that he is your king. You, you, you've given allegiance to him as Lord. And so let's, let's tease this out a little bit. I want to give you kind of three things, money, time, and worry. Let's look at money. I saw a video this week of John Piper, and it was, he was talking about what he's done with all of his book royalties. So John Piper's written over 50 books. He has sold millions of books, okay? If y'all know anything about best-selling authors, you sell millions of books, you can make a lot of money, okay? But John Piper has basically created a foundation and all of the royalties from all of his books goes into that foundation. You know what he does? He gives it all away. He doesn't keep any of that. Now, he's not poor. I mean, he, he works for a church. He, he has worked for a church. Now he works for Desiring God. He receives a wage. He's taken care of. He's not, he's not vowed himself to a life of poverty. But he just believes that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why does he believe that? Because Jesus says that. His Lord said that. And so he said, 
I'm just going to do what he told me to do. He just believes that it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's avoided becoming rich. Why does he believe that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus says that. And so he's listening to Jesus. He's ordering his life by the reign of Christ. You know, what about you? What about me? Is our value system more in line with the value system of what's all around us, right? Have you fallen into the spell that your identity, your worth is in how much money you have, how much control you have through money? Have you fallen into the spell that, that all of the Western world's around us? You're not like an odd person to fall into the spell. This is like, this is everywhere. That your worth, that your identity is based on what kind of grand house you can have or grand car you can drive or grand things you can do. Is that your worth? Now, again, it, it, I believe God wants us to enjoy gifts and there's certainly a place for that, but it, are you finding identity in these things? Are you spending your money as you would spend it if Jesus was presently reigning? What about time? You know, again, kind of the... The, the narrative of life around us is spend your time being productive or doing awesome things, right? Which is why, you know what I love to see? I love to see people at Christ's covenant that, you know, have these big jobs and are doing these interesting things, serving on hands team, putting chairs out, serving in the kids ministry, you know, being there with the little kids. That they haven't been deceived that they have some sort of higher rank because the world has given them some higher rank. That they're actually seeing themselves as a part of the people of God. And, and the way that they can actually be of most value among the people of God is to serve the people of God. Are you spending your time as you would spend it if Jesus were presently reigning? If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old, the old order, the old way, the old narrative, that, that old order that always kind of leaves you feeling inadequate, that's gone. That's not where you find your value. The new, the new reign, a new administration has come. How about worry? You know why you worry? And look, I worry. I can be greedy. I can waste time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in, I'm in the club, okay? I need to be renewed. I need this passage just as you do. But you know why you worry? You worry because you've placed too much confidence in earthly things. The message of the Bible is don't trust in earthly things. They're all fading. They're all growing dim. But the kingdom of God goes on forever. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life but seek the kingdom of God and all these things and everything will be added and everything will be given unto you. God will take care of you. Are, are you trying, do you find yourself trying to control earthly things in order to come over or overcome worry? Or that'll always lead you to want more money and to use less time on things like prayer and on things like Bible study because there's no control in that. I mean, that's just faith. Or, are you, are you saying, you know what, look, this is, this is troublesome. This is worrisome. And it's not that there's no action to take, but it's the first place you go to the Lord. 
to appeal to him, to seek him, to go after him, to trust in him, to, to allow that worrisome thing in your life actually be a thing that kind of breaks you from idolatry and points you toward deeper devotion to Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. So that's the new life. The, the second thing I want to talk about from this is the new title I love this title. I want you to love this title. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I love amb this ambassador language in the Bible. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a citizen of one country and all of his identity and value and worth and strength and military protection and uh, wealth and security and language and culture, it's all secure in his home, his or her home country. But he or she goes to another country. When they go to another country, they don't go to be citizens of that country. They don't go to be a part of that country. They go as part of their home country, but they go to that country for the good of that country and to represent their home country. And that is exactly who you are in Christ. In Christ, you're called to be citizens of his eternal kingdom. That's your identity. That's your culture. That's your family. That's your wealth. That's your security. And if that's true, if your identity is there, then you can give yourself away here. Representing your home country and serving the good of the people around you. And I don't know what your, and I'll use air quotes here, country is, but God in his providence, you know, through this ambassador calling, I love this, it says God is making his appeal through you. Who is God appealing to through you? Well, he's appealing to the people that you've been sent to. God in his divine wisdom, has people here all over Atlanta. You live in apartment complexes. You live in neighborhoods. You go to work at different places. You are the ambassadors. You are the ones that God is making his appeal to this world through. And so I want you to hear this. Your life matters. How you live matters how you conduct yourself in your neighborhoods and among your friends and in your workplaces, it really matters. You are an ambassador. You are a representative. God is making his appeal through you. What, what are you saying to the world around you about who Jesus is and what he is like and what he has done? God is making his appeal through you, your life matters. You know, one of the things we always say is the Christian life is this. The Christian life is living your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. You know, Jesus was a carpenter and itinerant preacher. Most of you aren't carpenters and itinerant preachers living in the first century. Your other stuff living in the 21st century. But how would Jesus live your life if he was you? You know, how would Jesus parent it's a great question to ask. How would Jesus parent if he were you? Is the way you're parenting appealing from God through you to your kids to be reconciled to God? 
How would Jesus go to your workplace, whatever that is? How would Jesus work in your workplace? What would he be like there? Is the way that you're working your workplace appealing to the people around you in your office from God through you to them to be reconciled to God? Is the way that you're living in community with others, the way that you're a family member with others, is, is, it, a, is it an appeal toward you? Is it an appeal toward what you've achieved and what you've accomplished and for everybody to look at you? Or are you just an ambassador that God is making his appeal through you? And you know what? There's so much promise in this room. You know, some, I, think, I think in the American church world, y'all think that ambassador work is my job. And so Jesus, pastors are at this. Job is to equip you. Now, I want to be an ambassador too. Don't get me wrong. I want God to make an appeal through me. But the lost world doesn't really pastors have to say. I mean, we we've got two things going against us. Okay, when I go out and make an appeal, you ever have your friend that sells insurance ask you the question, "Hey, uh, hey, Bradley, have you thought about your future?" You ever had that happen? You know what they're saying, right? They might care about your future. They really want you to buy some life insurance, right? And when I start talking to somebody about the Lord, you know what they hear? They think, oh man, this guy, he's a professional Christian. He's paid to talk about Jesus to me. It kind of undercuts the thing. Another thing, one of the reasons that pastors are lousy ambassadors is we can't do anything. I mean, I don't have any like, I can't do anything interesting uh, to normal people. Um, my skills only serve Christians, right? I'm a preacher and teacher and pastor, but you guys, you know, if you make an appeal for the gospel to a family right after you've taught that child, their child for a whole year in school and love that child and serve that child and wept with that child, man, that's a strong appeal. If you make an appeal for Christ, you know, right after you've helped somebody refinance their house and you're going to save them a bunch of money, that's a great appeal. People are interested. People will listen. If you're a doctor, people are coming to you <laughs> for medical advice, but you can help out with some spiritual advice too. That is a really good appeal. There's so much potential in you. Don't you see who you are? God has reconciled you in Christ back to himself. And now he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. You are ambassadors. God making his appeal to you. I love what happens in the middle of verse 20. Paul is explaining this work of reconciliation that we have, and he can't help himself. In the middle, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. And then he can't help, but he starts appealing. Therefore, be reconciled to God. And so let me appeal to you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. You who are sitting here, and maybe you've walked with the Lord a long time, but something I said earlier, something that was just on your heart before you came in is weighing heavy on you. Here's the good news. Be reconciled to God. I'm not telling you clean your life up necessarily. What I am telling you is look to Jesus. Realize that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin. Whatever that sin is that you're feeling right now, Jesus became that sin so that you could be the righteousness of God. And he's given you a new life. Look to him and he will work out his righteousness in you. 
If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, this is all this Christian stuff is new to you. Hear this appeal. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Again, I'm not telling you, go obey the Ten Commandments. Now, as you look to Christ, as you find your identity in him, as you find this new life, you'll desire the law of God. You'll desire the order of God. But what I am telling you is, is hear this. Be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, you and I may become the very righteousness of God.